Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon at Fountain City Church. We hope that you are blessed by this message today. If you'd like to learn more, you can check out our website at fountaincity.org. Good morning, church family, and those of you who are joining us online and maybe you don't have a church home, we just want to invite you to come take part uh, in whatever that looks like right now in this weird season, uh, this kind of in-between stage. For us right now, church looks like gathering on the weekends like we're doing currently. It also looks like midweek communities where we're joining with uh, different groups of people and really learning what God's speaking to us and how we can be devoted to His voice in our lives. And thirdly, we join for prayer three times a week, Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And so we want to invite you into that. And uh, in this season, if you find yourself asking questions about Jesus and just wanting to walk with Him or learn what that looks like, we'd love to be a part of your journey. So just reach out. We'd love to help you any way that we can. You can go to fountaincity.org for more information. Uh, All right, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. Uh, We're going to read verses 1 through 10. And so I hope you got your Bibles with you this morning, sitting on your couch or at your table. And um, man, I really wish that I could be with you. I wish I could be in your living room this morning, um, talking to you about what the Lord's doing and how He's moving in our lives and what He's saying to you as well. Um, but in the midst of this moment, we believe that this is still the best situation that we can, or the best way we can walk through the situation is really to be responsive and make sure that we're social distancing and taking care of people. Uh, and so we're going to read in Matthew chapter 28, 1 through 10. Uh, as I was praying and preparing for this weekend, one of the things that I felt like the Lord just kind of a thought that he put in my heart and in my mind as I was praying was that Resurrection Day is not simply a day to look backward and reflect. Uh, And too often in the church, like uh, one of our incredible practices and traditions is to go by the church calendar and kind of walk in these rhythms of what the global church is doing. And I believe in that. But Resurrection Day is not about looking backward and reflecting just on what the historical figure Jesus did 2,000 years ago. But it's really a time for us to gauge our own lives in Christ and to examine whether we are living in the resurrection power of the Spirit and, uh, and whether we're anchoring our lives to the promise of living in resurrection bodies one day that can live in the presence of God forever. And so this isn't just about looking backward and honoring the past. This is about looking forward and looking even in the present moment and asking, do we, are we living into the resurrection power of Jesus in how we live? And so we're going to read in Matthew 28, 1 through 10. A beautiful resurrection narrative, Um, and these are all through the Gospels, so feel free to go and read some of the different ones later today. Um, It says, After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. And there was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, he rolled back the stone and sat on it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. And the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and they became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Don't be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. And so the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. And they ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him and they clasped his feet and they worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid, but go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. 
Can you imagine the whirlwind that the disciples have been through in the past couple of days? For three years, they've been traveling around with Jesus, watching his, his way of life. They all left homes and they left families and they left jobs and vocations in order to travel and to, to learn what it was to follow this rabbi Jesus. They watched how Jesus treated other people and uh, they listened to Jesus' teachings and they watched how he lived and they did it up close and in person. And there's even these moments where Peter turns to Jesus after he says some really hard things and, and uh, Jesus says, are you guys going to leave me now? And Peter says, where are we going to go? You alone hold the words of life. And so they've been in this, this preparation season, this journey with Jesus for three years where they know beyond the shadow of a doubt that Jesus is who he said he is and that he's going to do everything that he says he's going to do. And in a moment here, right before the resurrection, right before Matthew 28 in chapter 27, we see the life of Jesus snuffed out just like that. Like everything they had put their hope in, everything they had built their expectations on, they had shifted all of their earthly hopes and they were purely relying on who Jesus was and having this connection with him. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if Jesus walked into your living room today and he just said, come follow me? And for three years, you just, you go on this journey where you abandon everything that defined you and identified you in order to really know him and to connect with him and to walk with him. And then in a moment, just like they experienced, like your, your, your hopes were dashed, your dreams were disappointed. That's exactly what we see them experiencing in this moment. These men and women had given everything to follow him. And in a moment, all that they had hoped for was snuffed out. And you can almost imagine the pain and the anguish of these ladies who uh, on Resurrection Sunday morning are taking this journey to go and to anoint the body of Jesus. Um, they're feeling the pain of loss. They're feeling their, their hopes and their expectations had been dismissed and crushed. Uh, and somehow, when they get into this moment, that they weren't really expecting hope. They had no expectation of resurrection, even though Jesus tried to tell them everything that was going to happen. Uh, in fact, you even see it. The disciples don't accompany the women on this journey. Their hopes are crushed. And then the impossible happened where they expected to find a body, they, they find this encounter with this angelic individual, this, an, an, this angel presence that is so terrifying that tough Roman soldiers fall down like they're dead and these women are standing there. Now this is an entirely different message, but it's, it's pretty telling that the first people who see the resurrected Jesus and go to tell other people about it are women. In an ancient Near East culture where women had no value. They were merely possessions of men. Jesus shows them off in his gospel as, as the first ones to actually see what God's doing and the first ones to go and declare it. And so ladies, we need you. Um, but this is what they find when they get there. They don't find a body. They find empty grave clothes and they find an angelic messenger who's there to declare that Jesus is alive. So they went in a moment from their hopes being dashed in disappointment to, to this moment of all of our hopes have been realized in the person of Jesus, that everything we feared was lost, now we know has been restored. And this, if we could like condense it down into a single, uh, a single statement, this is the message that we are declaring today, that Jesus was not just a historical figure 2,000 years ago who had nice moral teachings but died at the death of an empire, but Jesus is alive and he is seated at the right hand of God the Father and he is interceding for you and me. His kingdom is here and now and his presence and power are with us. 
And it is all inaugurated in this moment of death and resurrection. You know, my, my fear when we come to Resurrection Sunday is that we have grown so familiar with it. Uh, you know, we've even made it very holiday-ish. Um, we don't talk about resurrection. We talk about Easter. We've got pictures of baby chicks everywhere and bunny rabbits and eggs, which I don't really know what the transition was from Jesus being raised from the dead all the way to eggs filled with candy. Um, I think for most of us, we have become so familiar and so accustomed to this holiday uh, that we don't actually recognize the power and like the destabilizing message that is presented to us in Matthew chapter 28. Uh, And so I really believe that resurrection, when we read it as it is, uh, it kind of pushes back against every bone of unbelief in our culture. And so I want us to ask the question today, what does resurrection demand of us? What does the resurrection demand of you and I today? Because if you believe that Jesus did in fact come back to life from the dead, then you can't live the same way that you once did. Now, I want you to think about that. Just stop. If you could erase the familiarity you have with this as a cultural phenomenon, if the resurrection of Jesus is in fact true, it changes everything. And if it's not true, then maybe we are just living a lie. But I believe with all my heart that the resurrection of Jesus has reshaped how the world works and God's invitation for us to live differently, not ordinary lives, but to step forward into the supernatural strength of God and to understand what he's inviting us into as his kids. And so here's a statement that I want you to grapple with. In life, we tend to abide by a set of guidelines and conclusions based on our experiences and what logic and reason tell us. But what happens when those guidelines and conclusions just get destroyed by this new experience? What happens when our logical conclusions that dead men stay dead gets obliterated by this reality of Jesus being resurrected from the dead? You know, a couple years ago, I say a couple, it was probably six years ago, uh, my twin brother Evan and I, we were in my living room and we were watching Discovery Channel one night <laughs> and, and they had on one of these ridiculous shows about mermaids. I don't know if you've ever seen them. Like they, they come up and there's this opening sequence that actually says, this is fictitious. But somehow Evan and I hadn't seen the fictitious bar at the beginning of the show. And so we're sitting there and we're watching this really, really like humorous thing, but it's serious, you know, and they've got these guys who are sending these little like sea pods down into the water and they're filming and they're expecting to see mermaids. And all of a sudden you see this mer hand slap the front of the glass of this, this water pod and just go sliding off the side of it. And as soon as that happened and this mermaid <laughs> appeared on the screen, my twin brother looked at me and Evan said, he said, everything has changed now. <laughs> he was so blown away by the reality now that mermaids were real. Of course, he, he didn't see all of that, that he just said nothing is the same as it once was. Everything suddenly was different because this thing that we thought was mythical and fictitious was real. And, uh, and I think in the same way, the resurrection for us is this logical time bomb. Like it takes everything that we have embraced as logic and reason and it blows it out of the water and it presents to us this new set of rules and expectations that we can have as children of God. The impossible is possible with God. And so what if the goal for us is not simply to save you? What what if the goal is not simply uh, that Jesus wants to cleanse you from your sin and then gift you with the rest of your life just trying to stay out of sin? 
But what if he actually is making you a new creation? What if he's filling you with resurrection power through the Holy Spirit? And what if this resurrection power at work in you isn't even the full payload, but what if it's just the beginning of what God wants to do? I believe this is exactly what the scriptures bear out for us, that God didn't save you just to put you in a position to just try to make your way through life and get to heaven one day and stay out of sin. But he has filled you with the Holy Spirit, the spirit of resurrection power. And through this spirit, he is making you a new creation and he is He is causing you to live a life on mission. And one day, he's going to fill you with more life than you know what to do with. That is what I believe uh, Jesus is doing in us right now. And so again, I want to just ask you, what does the resurrection demand of us today? What does it demand of you quarantined in your home today? What does it demand of you on anxious days and on really courageous days? What does it demand? Number one, The resurrection demands that Jesus is not just a moral man and a good teacher, but that he is the son of God. Acts chapter 2 verse 31 says this, Seeing what was to come, King David spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead. This is found in Psalm 16, if you want to go back and read it. That that he would not be abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor would his body see decay. Verse 32, God has raised this Jesus to life and we are witnesses of it, exalted to the right hand of God. He's received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and he has poured out what you now see and hear. Verse 36, so therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. You know, the resurrection is really the exclamation point on all of Jesus' claims about who he was. Jesus never went to make himself a spectacle. He uh, avoided attention at times. He even told people that he, or told people that he healed not to go and proclaim who had done it. But here in this moment, we see that the resurrection is God's definitive way of saying Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God. He not only was man, but he was also God in the flesh. And if Jesus is not just a man, but he's God, that makes a demand on how we respond to his presence and to what he has to say, right? I mean, think about it. I think again, for most of us, I think about my brothers and sisters who grew up in the Bible Belt and you grew up very like culturally aware of who Jesus was and what Christianity is all about. I think at times we grow so accustomed to him as some kind of narrative historical figure that we miss out on this reality. That if Jesus is who he said he was, if resurrection happens, then the way that I respond to his life and his resurrection, gosh, man, it means everything. It means everything. If Jesus is God, then the way that I respond to his life is a dramatically different picture than if he's just a teacher. So the demand is that you and I surrender to Jesus as Lord and that we submit our lives to his leadership. Resurrection is not just a holiday for the church. Resurrection is a bullhorn to the world declaring that there is hope and that in Christ, God is making all things new and he's doing it through the person of Jesus. He is declaring that men and women all over the earth today need to surrender to the lordship and the authority of Jesus. Colossians chapter two, verse eight says this. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy 
which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity, all the fullness of God lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and every authority. Listen to that. The New Testament writers were engulfed in this idea that people understood that Jesus was not just a man, but in him was the fullness of God. That he was the very son of God. That he was the sacrificial lamb to save the world. That he is the atoning sacrifice. That he is the only means to God the Father. And since Jesus has this fullness of God in him, and since he's the head over every power and authority, we can't just write him off and act like his identity makes no difference to us. If Jesus is a good man and dies on the cross, but he's just a good man, then we revere him. But if he's God, then it demands that we respond and submit our lives to him. Matthew 28, 18 goes on to tell us this, all authority in heaven and on earth belong to Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, 25 says this, it says that Jesus must reign as king until he's put all his enemies under his feet. Listen to this. This, this is not like a group of men who said Jesus did this thing a long time ago and we should kind of like think about it and reflect on it and do a really pensive ceremony about it. No, he's saying Jesus is king. He is king. All authority belongs to him. He must reign until everything has been put under his feet. Philippians 2.10 says that God has exalted Jesus and given him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. Are you getting the rhythm here? This is not some kind of like peaceful holiday. This is the loud proclamation that Jesus is King forever. He is Son of God and Son of Man, and there is a demand on His resurrection for you and I to live in a full-bodied, full-life, radical, abandoned response to His Lordship. You know, there are days when we just kind of look up from the hardship of life and where we don't really want to be obedient and don't want to follow. There are days where I, I just want to do my own thing. There are days where I want to make decisions to partner up with sin and just give in to those old ways of living. But the lordship of Jesus, the kingship of Jesus makes a demand on how I live. That it's not just a, a humble suggestion from a kind teacher 2,000 years ago that I live in some moral tradition now, but that it is the living word of God that invites me to live a transformed life today. And he is my king and he is my God. And the demands that resurrection speaks to me is that I don't give myself room to just do what I want. I actually, I give allegiance to Jesus. For, for some of you today, like we grew up in school pledging allegiance to the flag every single day. And the older I get, the more I understand the power of allegiance. And God is inviting you to give your allegiance to him as king. Not to anything or anyone else. There is nothing, there is no one, there is no other place that I give my allegiance to apart from King Jesus. Because his resurrection makes some demands on my life. Right? So firstly, Jesus is not just a moral teacher and a good man, but he is the son of God and he demands our allegiance. Secondly, the resurrection demands that I don't live an ordinary life. The resurrection of Jesus 2,000 years ago, it demands that you don't lead an ordinary life if you're in Christ. 
Colossians 2.8, once again, it says, listen to it. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of the world rather than on Christ. See, for us, the resurrection is this brand new starting point. If you're a Christ follower today, whether you're at home or whether you're not part of the church, but you're just kind of looking in, the resurrection of Jesus becomes this brand new starting point for what we hold as normal and natural as the people of God. And for all of us, we started off in the world with these elemental spiritual forces and human traditions. Those were the foundations that our lives were built upon. And so we built our lives on chasing after money and a a solid vocation. We chase after finding the right spouse who looked a certain way and behaved a certain way and having the perfect home and having vehicles that were beautiful and that people would take pride in. Listen to me, what what we're reading here in Colossians 2.8 is that the resurrection has, has changed out. It has obliterated this old foundation on human tradition and elemental spiritual forces and it has replaced it with the person of Jesus Christ. And if Jesus Christ is our new foundation and resurrection is the way that we experience him, then it completely changes the way that we live and breathe and how we work and how we do marriage and how we do relationship. This is something that shifts everything that we are. I want to say it again. We cannot live a life rooted in human traditions and the elemental forces of the world that reject supernaturally natural lives. It is a challenge to my faith and to yours when the world around us is singing us to sleep with these ideas and these notions of what it means to be successful and powerful and Um, productive. And here, when we look at Matthew chapter 28, we are faced with a brand new filter system. We're, We're faced with a brand new rubric for what it looks like to be successful and productive. If we are on the foundation of Jesus, then living supernatural lives is the base level of what we do as Christ followers. And I got to tell you guys, there is nothing that is more wonderful or more powerful or more exciting than living life with the Holy Spirit in Christ. You were born into a way of life that's meant to be rooted in and growing in and abounding in the Spirit of God. But if you're living on human tradition as the foundation of your life, you're always going to be wrestling with the priorities of the kingdom of God versus the world. And I want to invite you today to just abandon the old way. Abandon the, the world's way of living and prioritizing your life. Again, your allegiance belongs to King Jesus. And so there is this invitation for us right now to be a people who are grounded in the supernatural working and power of Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18 says this. This is Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened so that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Listen to that. You've got a glorious inheritance and his incomparably great power for those of us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand uh, in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Listen to that. 
This is what God wants to give us now, built on the foundation of Jesus and the resurrection. He wants to gift you the riches of your glorious inheritance. He wants to gift you his incomparably great power uh, through faith. And, and Paul writes here that the power that God exercised in Christ when he raised him from the dead is the same power that's at work in you. Like you may feel weak and, and feeble and frail. You may feel a little anxious. Friends, let me tell you something. If you have put your faith in Jesus and you are building your life rooted and established on the foundation of Christ and his death and resurrection, the promise here is that the power of God exerted in Jesus Christ to raise him from the dead, that that same power is at work in you. You may not feel it. It may not feel very present. You may feel very weak. And yet, he says the power of the Holy Spirit that raises the dead man from the grave and brings him back in resurrection power, that, that Spirit of God is at work in you. When you feel it and when you don't feel it, on good days and on bad days, the Spirit of God is with you. And he's exerting the same strength to resurrect you, spirit first, and one day, body. He goes on to say in Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than anything you can ask or imagine according to his power that's at work in you. So, so friends, what's our expectation of how God's going to use our lives? Honestly, is resurrection just about Easter egg hunts? Kids, I love Easter egg hunts. I love candy. I'm a chocolate fiend. I'll go knock some out right after I finish this message. But what I want us to wrestle with is that our expectations on Resurrection Sunday have to shift now. What can you imagine? What are the expectations of how God wants to use your life? For some of you, you have set the bar so low out of disappointment and a loss of expectation or a loss of hope. And this says that the Spirit of God is being exerted in your life to bring about resurrection power. Ephesians 3.20 says that he can do immeasurably more than anything you can ask or imagine. So what do you expect? What is it that you can imagine? Because the promise is that God can do exceedingly and abundantly more than that. I was, uh, I was reading this 2016 article out of National Geographic. And... Um, one of the things that has really blown me away is maybe the metaphor that this is for us as the people of God. Uh, this is a gentleman named Ed Young. He wrote this, uh, and so you can probably find it online. But I want to read this ex excerpt to you. It's about um, uh, the evolution of bird populations in New Zealand, okay? It says, Before the arrival of humans and the rats and cats and other predators that we brought, New Zealand was an idyllic haven for birds. Without ground-dwelling mammalian hunters, mammal hunters, to bother them, many of the local species lost the ability to fly. There's the kakapo, a giant booming parrot with an owl-like countenance, the takahi, wika, and other flightless relatives of the coots and moorhens, a couple of flightless ducks, and of course the iconic kiwi. So all of these different birds, he says they lost the ability to fly before predators came. These birds are part of a pattern that plays out across the world's islands. Wherever predators are kept away by the expanse of water, birds become flightless. Listen to that. And this happens quickly and repeatedly. This process has happened on more than one, um, on more than a thousand independent occasions. 
producing the tatty-winged, flightless cormorant of the Galapagos and the awkward dodo of Mauritius and the clubbed-winged ibis of Jamaica. So he's saying this has happened thousands of times where these birds don't face any kind of predatorial threat on the ground, and so they actually lose the capacity to fly because it's so easy to just walk. Listen to this last line. I love it. The call of the ground is a strong one, and it exists even when the skies are still an option. So when these birds don't face opposition and they get comfortable just walking around on the ground like it's their home, they no longer remember how to fly. Listen to that. The call of the ground is a strong one. It exists even when the skies are still an option. You know, my fear as a son of God, as a brother for many of you guys, uh, as a pastor, is that resurrection has somehow moved into the background of our lives. And for many of us, we've been like suckered into this Mark 4, like uh, seed among thorns lifestyle where we have chosen nine to five jobs and searching for the perfect mate uh, and, and uh, 401ks and upgrading our homes and upgrading our vehicles over resurrection power. Somehow we, we have lost sight of the fact that we can fly because we've gotten so accustomed to just living on the ground like the rest. And God wants you to know that he has equipped you through resurrection power to live abnormally supernatural lives. Now this can take a million different directions and for some of you come out of movements of the church that always emphasize the supernatural but maybe not a rootedness in Christ. And for some of you, you come out of uh, parts of the church that don't ever talk about the supernatural because it's just deemed as weird. How do you explain resurrection? How do you explain the, the gifts of the Spirit? How do you explain everything that God has done? It's all mystical. It all leans into this this desire to be a part of the power and the presence of God on the earth. The resurrection of Jesus makes a demand on how I live and what I expect on any given day. The ordinary becomes vibrant and alive with possibility because the Spirit of God is with us, breathing life into the graveyard of the world around us and causing us to come alive. I say it often to those of you when we're gathering together on the weekends, but As a son or daughter of God, you are the most dangerous creature on the planet. There is no place that is safe from the goodness and the love and the grace of God when you're around. Because God has put his spirit in you. You are the meeting place of heaven and earth. And you're not meant to live an ordinary life. When you see needs around you, God wants to equip you to to be the solution to that need. When you see somebody who is broken in body, God wants to empower you with a spirit of faith to pray and to see healing. God wants you to walk in very ordinary, uh, small ways to just give words of wisdom and knowledge and to exercise the power of God in creation around us. Maybe you have forgotten how to fly. And on Resurrection Sunday, if there's anything that we have to wrestle with is that there is more. There is more in the Spirit. There is more in the resurrection power of Jesus. I love the passage where it talks about Jesus actually dying on the cross. And when he died, when he says it is finished, that the the curtain of the temple is torn in two and graves open up all over Israel and people get up and start walking around. Like we have to ask some questions. If the death of Jesus releases life, how much more the resurrection power of Jesus when he comes up out of the grave? God's calling you to live a resurrection life, a supernatural, not an ordinary, a radically abandoned life to the way and the power and the presence of Jesus. 
Um, you know, I, I have all of these stories that come to my mind and my heart when I think about this. Years ago, we took a trip to Prague and um, had a group of guys with me. And it was so fun to see the resurrection power of Jesus at work. Um, two of the people who were with us that day, uh, they went over and prayed for a lady who was in a wheelchair in the middle of the square in Prague. And Prague, uh, we'd been told over and again, these people are hard-hearted and this is dry ground. Don't expect to see salvations. Don't expect to see the miraculous. And we saw the opposite. We saw villages coming to Jesus and being baptized. We saw people giving their lives to Christ. We saw people healed. We saw this lady in a wheelchair. Two of our people just went and prayed for her. She got up out of her wheelchair and pushed it the rest of the way through the city. We took pictures of her. It was incredible. We saw a young British guy who was there, he and his buddies, and they quickly were shooting off these like proud stories about going there to hook up with prostitutes and to get cheap drugs. And when we were there, we had a word of knowledge. One of our crew had a word of knowledge and we began to pray for this guy and he had broken his arm in a bar fight. And we prayed for his arm and he said, what's happening? My arm is getting hot. And we said, it's the power of the Holy Spirit on you. And God healed him right there. He healed him. And the guy was so freaked out that his buddies came to attention and said, what is this all about? And we were able to share the gospel with them and pray for them. Friends, you're not meant to live an ordinary life. And maybe you've never stepped into this or leaned into it. And I just want to like give you a shove into this, that the, the life of the Christ follower is meant to be naturally supernatural. It is meant to have an impact that changes the world and civilization around us because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Lastly, number three, the resurrection demands that we anchor our hope in the promise of resurrection bodies. Now, we don't talk about this in the church a whole lot. I really don't think. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around it. I think for so long in the church, we only focused on heaven that now we're kind of in this place where we've swung the pendulum the other way and we never talk about eternity. We generally just talk about how to live empowered lives now. And I believe in both sides. But we see this here that the ultimate promise of resurrection is that when we die or when we see Jesus, that we're going to inherit bodies that will never perish again. I don't know about you, I'm 37, I feel young, but when I get a bruise, I'm at the age now where it doesn't go away for like three months, you know? And when uh, I, I worked out the other day, foolishly, and I've been hurting for like four days, right? My, my body is perishing. Every single person you see, wherever you go, our bodies are dying. Even though we may be young, we are all moving through this process of life and death. Death is promised to all of us. There's not a single one of us that's gonna escape it, and as much as our American culture wants to keep everything young and everything energetic, uh, we're dying. Every single one of us will face this. And this may be um, more apparent to us right now during COVID-19 than ever, that none of us escapes problems and hardship and suffering. All of us, all of us, every last one of us, no matter how rich or poor you are, no matter how handsome or ugly, no matter how big or small, young or old, no matter what nationality you're from or economic, socioeconomic background you're from, you're going to die. And somehow in the midst of that, one of the most beautiful promises that we have is that through the resurrection of Jesus, he doesn't just forgive our sins, but he is actually going to be the source. He's going to be the way that we receive resurrection bodies to be with God forever. So we see this right now being played out in front of us. And so I, I want to encourage you to do something. For some of us, we don't like thinking about death. 
I actually want to encourage you to stop and to think about how your body is going to fail you one day. How life grows more fragile and tender. How one day you will close your eyes and you won't wake up in this mortal body anymore. I know for some of us, we like to escape thoughts of death and things changing. But one of the really uh, powerful suggestions that I have for you is that you need to embrace the fact that you're going to die. And that in that, that there is no fear for us in death, but on my worst day in this physical body, I am being ushered into my very best moment because I'm moving into a life that is abundant and overwhelming. I tell my girls all the time, like, I I don't think I'm going to die young. I don't know. But in the midst of that, if for some reason I went out and just didn't come home and I died, if my body ended on this side, as tragic as that would be to lose the connection with my family and the here and now, I have never been more alive than the day when I die in this body and I step through that veil into a perfect resurrection existence with God. There is no fear in death for us who are in Christ. Jesus conquered death. He has conquered sin. So sin holds no power over me and death holds no power. Maybe it causes us brief and temporary sadness, but I enter into the glory and the presence of God the moment I step out of this body. And for some of you, you are terrified of death. You do everything you can to keep yourself from dying. And I want to encourage you to believe that our faith roots us in a hope that goes beyond just my body living forever. This thing's not going to live forever. But in Christ, he's going to give me a resurrection body that can never perish. See, the inheritance for us is not just that we get to live here in this flesh and blood forever, but that God is going to actually clothe us in something that is, it is being, uh, he clothes us in something that is imperishable is what the scriptures say. And so right now, through the Holy Spirit, this is what's happening. The Lord is regenerating your spirit from the inside out. And the Apostle Paul calls this a deposit that guarantees our inheritance to come, right? And so through the resurrection of Jesus, the Holy Spirit has been poured out onto you and to I. And even though our bodies are still under the curse of sin and brokenness and death, which is why we still physically die, because our bodies are still under the curse of death, our spirits are being regenerated by the Spirit of Jesus. And so, and this is the deposit. This is God's way of saying, I have identified and guaranteed that the inheritance to come, your resurrection body, that it is it is guaranteed because of my, my spirit that's at work in you right now. But the inheritance is not just this temporary thing. Um, uh, it's not just a treasure in jars of clay like the Apostle Paul says, but it's in perfect bodies. No longer under the power of sin and death, and this body can withstand God's glory forever. You know, years back I was reading the scripture, and you hear about God being this consuming fire And you start to wonder, what in the world does it look like for me to go and live in the presence of a God who is consuming fire? Who every time in the scripture, somebody comes face to face with an angel of the Lord, they fall down as though they're dead and they fear that they're going to die. The Israelites wouldn't even go into the presence of God because they were so terrified at his holiness. Resurrection is God's way of getting us into his presence forever. It's his way of giving you a body that will stand up to the glory and the perfection and the holiness of God. Think about that. If if God was to show up in person right now, my body would unhinge and melt and fall apart. 
But resurrection says that God's going to give me a body where I can live in his presence forever. Revelation actually tells us there's no sun in heaven because God is so holy that light emanates and radiates from him. Think about that. And he says, my body, when I am in eternity, because of this faith that I have in Christ, that I've been given a body that I can stand in God's presence and I won't burn up. This is the power of resurrection for us. This is the promise. God wants you to be with him. And he's going to give you a body that can be with him forever. And for some of us, we have missed out that Resurrection Sunday is about this hope that life doesn't end in the grave, but that is just this middle point. That is a launching pad into this eternal presence with God and to this internal connection and intimacy with God. So on our worst day on this side of the grave, it becomes our best moment because we step into this hope that we are always going to be with God and that our bodies made whole. 2 Corinthians 5 says it like this, For we know that if our earthly tent that we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we're clothed, we're not going to be naked. Right? For while we are in this tent, we groan and we're burdened because we don't wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Listen to this. This is my favorite line. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. This is God's plan. That what is mortal is going to be swallowed up by life. Now the one who fashioned us for this purpose is God who has given us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. So we are always confident and we know that as long as we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from this body and at home with the Lord. Their revelation was it's better to go. It's better to be with Jesus than to be in this body. Verse 9, so we make it our goal to please him, whether we're at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in this body. Friends, the response for this promise of resurrection life is just that. That we take an honest evaluation of our lives and just ask, God, how does he he say it in verse 9? He says we make it our goal to please him. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that we receive what is due us for the things done while in the body. You know, one of the terrible teachings in the church has been that if you're saved, that you're not going to stand in judgment. That's a lie. We all stand in judgment. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. But it's not whether or not you get to be with him in eternity. He still is going to judge us for what we do with our lives. And friends, if I can just invest this in you, God has promised us a hope of resurrection body. But because of that, because we are eternal creatures, because he's invited us into the supernatural, uh, the, the, the daily life of a supernatural person, we have to evaluate our lives and understand that we're going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give an answer for how we live. And I want to encourage you to ask the question, am I living up to resurrection? Am I responding to the grace and the mercy of God given to me through resurrection? You know, in closing, one of the things that really stood out to me was just one of the very simple statements made in Matthew chapter 28 in our story. 
the angel's talking to the women, and he says, Don't be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. You know, this weekend, one of the beautiful things about it is that people are looking for Jesus, and we get to share him. Uh, My hope is that even in this message, that those of you who maybe you have never called on the name of Jesus for salvation, that you will understand that there is no other name in heaven or on earth or under the earth by which men can be saved, but it's only at the name of Jesus, that he is the one mediator between God and man and that God is calling you to faith in Jesus so that you can be saved and that you can be made new and you can be filled with his Holy Spirit and resurrection power. But for all of us, we need to know that people are looking for Jesus. But listen to what the angel says. He's not in this place of death. He's risen. Come and see the place where he lay, then go quickly and tell his disciples. He says, come and see, and then go and tell. Come and see. In this moment, he doesn't chide them for their lack of faith. He says, it's okay. You want to investigate and you're looking for Jesus. And for some of you, you are are headlong looking to to find evidence of this faith. You're looking for evidence of the person of Jesus. And my prayer is that Jesus shows up to you and that in big moments and in small moments, that he shows you that he is the way and the truth and the life and that there is no other way to the Father except through him. So come, see, look at the empty grave clothes, look at the the evidence of his resurrection power, look at the evidence of his life in the earth. And lastly, go and tell. It's not enough for us to just get evidence, but as people of God, my prayer is that you will be empowered by the Spirit of God to go out and to tell everyone everywhere about Jesus. This is the closing line of Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And Jesus says, so I tell you, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. Our right response to coming and seeing Jesus, who was uh, murdered and who was resurrected, is to go and tell. And so my prayer for you this weekend is the very same, that this resurrection power would make a demand on you that you would realize that Jesus is God and that we should respond in a a reverent fear of who he is and what he's called us to do. Secondly, that we would be people that understand that we cannot lead an ordinary life because the death and resurrection of Jesus and his resurrection power is our foundation now. It is our new normal. It is our Monday through Sunday. It is the way that we're meant to live every day. And finally, that our hope doesn't get snuffed out by death. And our goal is not to just maintain a nice way of life here, but God's gonna give us a resurrection body to be with him forever. This is the promise of Resurrection Sunday. This is the promise of the resurrection of Jesus. And this is the promise of the Holy Spirit who is working resurrection power into your body today. So I'm gonna just say a quick word of prayer and I want you to sit and ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, Where have I gone wrong? Have I underscored and misevaluated the power of your resurrection in my own life? Have I come uh, to the place of your death and seen that you have been resurrected and not told others? And am I living in that power today? No matter where I'm coming from, Father, am I living in this relevant revelation of your power at work in me? And Father, I just ask you right now that you would surround our friends and our family God, all those who have come to listen, 
Lord, those who are asking big questions about what it means to follow you. And I pray, Father, today for the power, the evidence, the proof of your resurrection at work in them, that you are transforming our broken lives to reflect your glory. God, in small and in large ways, in moments where we feel it and in moments where we don't, this promise is at work in us that the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is moving in us to do immeasurably more than anything we can ask or imagine. And so today, God, we awaken our, our asking, we awaken our imaginations, and we partner with you again. Jesus, thank you that you were resurrected and you have brought us into new life. It's not just adding some good stuff to the old. You have brought us into the death of Jesus and into this new creation this resurrection power. It's in Jesus' name we pray and we thank you for it. Amen. We love you guys. I pray today that you experience God's resurrection power. And I just honestly hope that the resurrection just messes you up. I hope that you can't see it as anything else except for our new foundation. Jesus is your foundation. We love you guys. If you need anything, our hearts are with you. We long for you. We long to be with you and to hear the needs that are in your heart and to partner together. And so we're here as a church family. And again, if you don't have a church family, um, we're your family. So we love you. You guys reach out and uh, we'll stay connected. See you.